Today's message was recorded for Wednesday, November 11th, 2020. I'd like to welcome you once again to our midweek service here at Central Park Neighborhood Church. Amen. We are studying the subject of the anointing, the anointing. Amen. It's a tremendous study in the Word of God, and it's it's a study that once we grow in the knowledge of it and we can participate with the Holy Spirit and how He wants to work through our lives, amen, and what He wants to do through our lives in knowing the knowledge of the anointing. And we're going to pick up today uh, where we left off from uh, last week, and uh, we move on to the life of Moses when uh, God gave him a, a pattern of a tabernacle to build, and he came and he shared that with the people and said he needed to take an offering uh, from the people, amen, for all of the ingredients uh, for the anointing oil and, and the construction of the tabernacle itself, the gold, the silver, all of the different uh, skins and, and materials that were needed to construct that tabernacle where the Lord would meet with them. But we, as we go on here, we find in the scriptures where he gives us a, a combination of spices and to make a compound and to call it a holy anointing oil. In Exodus chapter 30, verses 22 to 25, it says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Take the following, he says, fine spices, 500 shekels of liquid myrrh, <clears throat> half as much as that is 250 shekels of fragrant cinnamon, 250 shekels of fragrant cane. And then he says this in verse 24, 500 shekels of cassia, all according to the sanctuary shekel. And then he says, a hen of olive oil. And then he says, make these into a sacred anointing oil, a fragrant blend, the work of a perfumer. It will be the sacred anointing oil. So we really find five ingredients that were used in the making of the anointing oil. Actually, there were four spices, and there was a hint of olive oil. And we stated once before that uh, oil is the only true symbol out of those spices representing the Holy Spirit. And uh, the spices represent something else that's mixed with it, but all of those things mixed together, that compound, uh, was made by the perfumer uh, into a holy anointing oil. And in the first mention in the scriptures about uh, these spices that we're talking about here, we find it in Genesis chapter 43, uh, verse 11. And we're going to find three different words now that are used in the Old Testament concerning the spices. And it says in uh, verse 11 now, it says, And their father Israel said unto them, It must be... So now, do this, take the best fruits in the land in your vessels and carry down the manna present, a little balm, a little honey, and then he says spices and myrrh, nuts and almonds. This, of course, is when uh, Jacob was telling his sons they had to go into the land of Egypt and deal with Joseph uh, to basically get food for them to survive in. But he took spices and this uh, first word spice here, it has an interesting meaning, and it will help us to understand uh, the spices and the process of how this all took place. It means a smiting, a smiting. 
it was an aromatic gum and it was like it was powdered. So there was a process of gathering this um, spice and it was processed. It became a powder. And in that powder, there was a beating. There was a smiting that took place, amen, to cause it to be broken down into very fine, uh, small pieces and become a very fine spice. In Proverbs 18, verse 14, it says, The spirit of a man will sustain his infirmity, but a wounded spirit, who can bear? Wounded, it's smiting. So he's talking about here, uh, you know, the woundedness of an individual. And we're talking about a spice and the beating of it and the producing of it for the desired end that was there. The second word that we find, we find it in Exodus chapter 30, verse 23. Take thou also unto thee principal spices of pure myrrh, 500 shekels of sweet cinnamon, half as much, even 250 shekels, and of sweet calamus, 250 shekels. In this particular word, in the meaning of this word spice, it simply means fragrance or spicery. So uh, we know that the anointing oil, it had a fragrance to it. It had a fragrance to it, you know. In a way that it was put together, but it also had a very fragrant smell to it. In Second Chronicles chapter 17, verses 13 through 14, since Asa slept with his fathers and died in the 41st year of his reign, they laid him in the bed which was filled with sweet odors, sweet odors, and diverse kinds of spices prepared by the cockathery art and made into a great burning for him. But it says his bed was filled with sweet odors. So when we see this word uh, spices or fragrance, he's talking about a sweet odor, a sweet odor, a sweet odor. And then in the third word that we come to, we find again in Exodus chapter 30, verse 34, And the Lord said to Moses, Take unto these sweet spices, Stachy and Anka and Galbalm and these sweet spices with pure frankincense of each shall there be a like weight. And this word spice, uh, it means to smell sweet. In other words, it has an aroma to it, to smell sweet. So it had a fragrance, it had a sweet smell, and uh, we see that it was the myrrh, the spice uh, was beaten. Okay, and We'll tie all of these things together as we go through this whole concept here of putting this compound together. In the New Testament, we've got one word really for spice, and it's used uh, four different times in the New Testament. And all of these scriptures uh, that the word spice is involved with is the burial of Jesus' body. In John chapter 19, verse 40, uh, Then took they the body of Jesus and wound it in linen cloths, with the spices, as the manner of the Jews is to bury. So they wound these spices now in the cloths um, that they uh, buried Jesus in. And this word, particular spice, it's, it's where we get our word aroma. Aroma from. It's in the sense of sending off a sense. Sending off a scent. And so the spices that he's talking about, they had a very strong scent to them. And uh, they uh, did, uh, and especially in the burial of the body, which would become a, a very rottenous smell, a very putrid smell, you'll find that these spices then would uh, offset that. And there, 
because of the aroma and the sense of the sweetness of that, it would touch that other side of it and bring a balance to it. These spices that we're talking about here in the scriptures, we'll just take a couple of thoughts here. Uh, that First of all, they were used as gifts, you know. They were not only used in the burial of Jesus, as we've seen in the scripture, but they were used as gifts. When the queen of Sheba came before Solomon, uh, she heard about the fame of Solomon and his relation uh, to the name of the Lord, and the Bible says she came to test him with hard questions. We find this in 1 Kings chapters 1, uh, verses 1 through 10. Arriving at Jerusalem and with a very great caravan with camels carrying spices, large quantities of gold and precious stones, she came to Solomon and talked with him about all that she had in her mind. She gave the king 120 talents of gold, large quantities of spices and precious stones. So we see the the precious stones here. They were gifts, but they were precious. They were valuable even in that day, even as they are now. Especially if you go to the store and you and you buy some of these spices and different things to cook with, you find that you get a very little portion and it costs you a great deal of money. So they were valuable. And so she brought them uh, to Solomon. Now, not only did they were they used for gifts, but they were valuable and used as a trade item. In other words, people uh, gathered these spices and they did the process that they needed to process them so that they were usable for mankind and they were used as a trade item. They were used uh, for the purpose of making a living. In Ezekiel 27, verse 22, the merchants of Sheba and Ramah traded with you for your merchandise. They exchanged the finest of all kinds of spices and precious stones and gold. So they were valuable. The spices were valuable. We've already looked at spices were used in the burial of the body of Jesus. But once again, we'll read John 19, verses 39 to 40. It says, He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds. Wow, that's, 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 that's quite a mixture and quite a, a quantity that he's bringing now. Taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it with the spices in strips of linen. This was in accordance with the Jewish burial uh, customs. So there was a lot of spices that were involved in the burial process. Very expensive, very expensive, I'll say that again, um, spices and used in the burial process. Spices were also, of course, we know they were used in the making of the anointing oil and uh, of burning of the incense on the altar of incense in the tabernacle. So they were used in, in the tabernacle and uh, used uh, to anoint the priests. That's what the anointing oil was for. You find that the anointing oil was also used to dedicate the different articles of furniture in the tabernacle. And uh, and so there are many uses, many uses for the anointing of oil. So let's take a look at now at the spices in the compound of the anointing oil. And what are they symbolic of? What are we talking about here? How do we uh, gather from the Old Testament and bring it over into the New Testament and learn from these things and gather information and knowledge that helps us to understand the anointing? 
Well, first of all, it was a compound, four spices and oil. Uh, these are connected with different experiences that one has in life. Now, follow with me in this. They, they are connected with different experiences that one has in life. Each experience gives to each individual an opportunity to respond with a new nature or the old nature. We always have a choice. We always have a choice on how we can uh, respond in the different experiences that we have in life. And so, um, interestingly enough, you know, uh, this anointing, as we look at these spices, they're connected with the different attitudes and different flavor, uh, the flavor that comes forth from our life. And we'll go on and we'll, we'll talk about this and we'll explain it. You know, with each trial, an attitude of patience is demanded. I don't care what the trial is. The Bible talks about uh, having patience. And we'll look at the scripture in James chapter 1 here in just a moment. You know, is the trial verbalized with murmuring and complaining, or is it thankfulness and blessing? How do we face the different trials and the difficult things that we fall into? You know, so many times uh, we, we I hear testimonies in, in a church service, uh, people standing up and, oh, I've had a hard week, and the devil's been after me, and, oh, it just woe is me, and, and everything is just against me, and, and, oh, it's just so difficult. Well, you know, if we really take a look at what the Scripture says and what the Scripture teaches us, we find that there is a purpose in these things, and it's really God that's bringing our trials to us. Temptations to sin the devil brings to us are trials Amen, uh, are sent to us by God. He's the one that brings the trials. He's the one that brings the hardship. He uses the enemy many times. But these trials and hardships are not meant to take, bring us to sin, but they are there to develop us and cause us to grow in patience and cause us to grow in our steadfastness with God. So we need to take a different look at these uh, trials and testings, and we need to take a biblical attitude and, and begin to practice uh, what the Bible talks about, being thankful. It talks about in everything give thanks and and practice these kinds of attitudes in these particular trials that we face. So your response then determines the aroma or the fragrance that exudes from your life. I'm going to say that again. Your response, what this produces inside of you, determines the aroma or the fragrance that exudes from your life. It's always interesting to me to talk to older people Hey, Ben, you know that I've walked life and have had many, many difficult challenges and many things that, amen, that they have gone through. And the longer you live, the more you experience, the more things you go through. And you realize, uh, uh, you, you watch people. Sometimes I watch people and they walk with a limp or they walk uh, in a way that, <clears throat> you know, say, well, that old person is shuffling along. Well, the reason they are is because of the things they've gone through in life. And then when you talk to them, is it what comes out of their mouth? Is it bitterness? Is it complaining? Is it the aroma that, that, that literally stinks? Or is it pleasantness? Or is it, is it something that, amen, that comes out of the life that has an aroma to it that, amen, is very pleasant to be around? It's something you can partake of. It's something that you can, amen, glean from. And so, uh, once again, what does, what's the aroma that's coming forth? Is it bitterness? Is it sourness? I like to throw in here, is it burnt flesh? Okay, Or is it pleasantness, sweetness, or an acceptance of the trial that has worked within your nature to bring forth an endurance, steadfastness, and patience 
Now let's read James chapter 1, verses 1 through 10. We'll read it out of the Amplified. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, To the twelve tribes scattered abroad among the Gentiles in the dispersion. He says, Greetings. And then he says, Rejoice. And I like, you know, he, he, he pre- prefaces this next verse. He says, Rejoice. And then he says this, Consider it wholefully joyful, my brethren, when you are enveloped in or encounter trials of any sort or fall into various temptations. These different things that he's talking about, it's not something that you prepare for. It's something that happens just kind of like on the spot. You're not prepared for it, and it's very difficult to handle because you haven't had any opportunity to prepare psychologically or you haven't prepared for it emotionally. And it talks about you're enveloped in it. You're just, you're totally surrounded with it. You're totally, you are in the middle of the stuff. That's what really what he's talking about here. But he says, count it joyful. And then he goes on in verse 3. Be assured and understand that the trial and proving of your faith, it does something for you. It brings out endurance and steadfastness and patience. I'm going to say those three things. It brings out endurance. It brings out steadfastness and patience. But let endurance, steadfastness, and patience have full play. Have full play and do a thorough work so that you may be what? People, first of all, that are perfectly and fully developed with no defects, lacking in nothing. That's a powerful, powerful scripture. I'm going to read that again. But let endurance and steadfastness and patience have full play and do a thorough work Why? How come? So that you may be a people perfectly and fully developed with no defects, lacking in nothing. So we see then the the purpose of all these things. There's There's a perfection. There's a maturity that's coming. And he tells us to face that, amen, with a joy, joyful attitude, with a thankful attitude. Verse five, if any of you is deficient in wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to everyone liberally and ungrudgingly without reproaching or fault-finding, and it will be given him. It's an interesting scripture here right in the middle of this. He says, ask of wisdom. Why would he say ask of wisdom? Well, many times, I don't know about you, but I don't always understand the the test. I don't always understand the trial. I don't understand, you know, just exactly how to, to handle this whole thing. And I really need to ask God, God, give me wisdom. Help me to understand. Help me to respond correctly. Help there to be an aroma that comes forth from my life out of this experience, amen, that is pleasing to you. So we need to ask God, amen, in these things. Verse 6, only let it must be in faith that he asks with no wavering, no hesitating, no doubting, he says. For the one who wavers, hesitates, or doubts is like the billowing surge of the sea, which is blown hither and thither and tossed by the wind. For truly, let not such a person imagine that he will receive anything he asks from the Lord. For he, for he is like a man with two minds, hesitating, dubious, irresolute. He is unstable and unreliable and uncertain about everything he thinks, feels, and decides. Let the brother in humble circumstances glory in his elevation as a Christian. And called to the true riches to be an heir of God. And the rich person out to glory and being humbled by being shown his human frailty. Because like the flower of the grass, he will pass away. So he tells us what kind of an attitude that we're to have in these particular things. Now let's turn in our Bibles to Songs of Solomon chapter 4 
verses 12 to 16. And this is where we will finish up this session uh, this evening. It says in Psalm, Song of Solomon, chapter 4, verse 12, A garden enclosed is my sister, my spouse, a spring shut up, a fountain seal. She's talking about the woman, the bride of Christ. And, and uh, in this particular portion of Scripture, it's talking about a garden enclosed is my sister. He talks about, she's a garden. You know, what is a garden? It's a garden. It's fenced. Within a garden, there's many things in a garden. It can be flowers. There can be all kinds of uh, vegetables, fruits, spices, many things. It says, Thy plants are an orchard of pomegranates with pleasant fruits, campfire, spikenard, saffron, camelus, cinnamon, all trees of frankincense, myrrh, aloes, with all the chief spices, a fountain of gardens, a well of living waters, and streams from Lebanon. Awake, O north wind, come, blow thou south wind, blow upon my garden, that the spices thereof may flow out. Let my beloved come into his garden and eat of his pleasant fruits. So we find here that the, she calls for the wind to come and to blow on the spices. You know, we need the wind to blow on our lives and we need to respond correctly so that flavor and the smell that comes forth from our life and the attitudes that we have are attitudes, amen, that are, amen, pleasant, pleasant, and recognize God is out to do us good. God is out, amen, causing us to be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. So today, as we look at the spices that are involved in the anointing, they really are tying into us as individuals and the attitudes that we have and what proceeds from our life. Amen. We will stop here and we will pick up uh, this next week on the different spices that are involved in the anointing. Amen. Rejoice. That's what James says. Rejoice. So I say to you today, rejoice. Be blessed of the Lord. Amen.